What I'd like to do this morning is, as uh, typically we read our passage and then sort of sort of preach off of it. It's a bit of a longer passage, so I'm going to break it into chunks and read the chunk, and then we're going to going to uh, reflect on it a little bit. So, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to First Peter, chapter two, and we're going to walk through uh, the end of chapter two and through into chapter three this morning. And what we're going to talk about largely is humility and servanthood. This passage from Peter and through the rest of Peter's letter, for a lot of Peter's letter, is all about your conduct. And Peter's theme, or one of his themes, has been how the church, how Christians, are living as sort of exiles or sojourners in the world, which means uh, the world is different from what we hope it to be, uh, that we trust that God is at work and he is redeeming and bringing his salvation to bear. But there are also... uh, systems and governments that are evil that are, and there's people we're all people who are sinful and so we're we're sort of pilgrimaging pilgriming you could say between uh the time of Jesus first coming as we await, await his arrival and what does the church look like as they do that well they're meant to be shaped by God's character their conduct our conduct is meant to point people to Jesus and one of the things Peter now does in this section is he, he refers to very specific scenarios and talks about how our conduct is meant to point to Jesus, modeled after Jesus, but also point people to God. So that's kind of the theme. And it's sort of about humility, because in a lot of these scenarios, he talks about servants and masters, he talks about wives and husbands, and then he talks about the whole community. And in each of those, there's really a a, a sort of emphasis on on modeling Jesus's humility, uh, even if the, if the people around us don't respect us. How many of you have been in a situation where you wish someone respected you a little more than they currently were, right? It's like, yeah, been there, right? So what Peter does here is, is sort of call us back to a place of humility. Um, and really, humility is sort of a mark of maturity, isn't it? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself as though you're self-deprecating and, oh, I'm so terrible and blah, blah, blah. Um, But humility, as the sort of classic phrase goes, is that you think of yourself less. You're just not as preoccupied with yourself. Uh, I've had some conversations. Speaking of conversations with people who are listening to bad preaching, I've also had conversations with people who just talked about themselves all the time. This is all about them. And sometimes they talked about how humble they were as they talked all about them and all the things that they knew were right. And uh, it's just really, really difficult to engage with someone when they do that. But our goal is is a sort of humble maturity. And that's what Paul or Paul, Peter takes us to in this passage. Look with me, if you will, at First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read this first section again, and then we'll pray and jump into this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, he should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, be servants of God. That's sort of the attitude that Peter calls us to. What does that look like? Well, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's just uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll begin kind of walking through this passage together. 
Jesus, this morning we are so thankful for your presence here with us. We ask, Lord, that you would indeed uh, stir a, a humility and a maturity in our hearts as we seek to follow you as your servants, uh, because we love you, because you first loved us. Help us to, to walk this out well uh, for the sake of you and your kingdom, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. I, I we, we touched on this last week, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but I, I love how in verse 17, what Peter does is says, basically, honor everyone. Not just some people get extra special honor, but honor everyone. And the emperor uh, is sort of brought down to everyone's level. Honor the emperor just as much as everyone else. And he also says, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. And that he's talking about the church in that, in that statement. I watched a video this week. It was really quite good. Uh, actually, I only got partway through it, and Brian sent it to me. And I don't know if there's a twist at the end. So, Brian, if you listen to this later, I may have butchered the video you sent me. But in the video, it was a guy talking about how he loved Jesus, but he always found it difficult being around Christians and being at church. And how, you know, really, he was like, I, I, I get that I, I want to be in relationship with Jesus, and then church and Christians kind of are are unfortunately sort of thrown into the equation. I don't really like getting on with them, but they sort of are part of the part of the package deal, I guess. And and he was frustrated with that and he was in you know involved in church as best he could and he said, you know, I just kind of didn't like going to worship because it was annoying and whatever and I just didn't enjoy it and I was sitting at the back. And he said, finally someone asked me one day if I would help serve coffee. And he was like, "What?" I work like 80 hours a week. Why would I bother serving coffee to these people that I don't even like on a Sunday, which is my day off, right? He was just kind of put out about it. But he said yes, and then he was grumbling as he headed to the next Sunday, and he showed up, and someone explained what to do. And so he was pouring coffee and handing it out to people. And he said, something happened as I was called to serve my church family. He said, I started to give people coffee and actually look them in the eyes. And he goes, I realize these people are amazing. These people are amazing. He said, I, what other place is there of people who are trying to walk together in unity, who come from a diverse range of backgrounds? He said, I, I started to fall in love with the church by serving them. When I was just sitting there doing nothing, I found uh, it was easy to just sort of be kind of mad at everyone. But when I had to engage with them and I had to see them face to face, I realized these people are amazing. He said, I, w I went up to the person who was in charge of the ministry. I said, we need better coffee. Like, these are amazing people. We need real mugs. And we need, like, we need to make this, we need to make this happen. These people showed up. There's something about the call to, to love the brotherhood that happens when we serve each other, isn't there? When we choose to love each other and walk that out together. So that's where Peter goes. And then he carries on by talking about servants specifically. So let's read verses 18 to 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Oh, darn it. It was fine when everyone was good, but to the unjust also. Why? This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? 
But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter, Peter calls servants to a sort of humble willingness to suffer under difficult people. Now that's a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow, I think. Um, in the Greco-Roman world at the time, the masters had really quite extensive authority over their slaves, and, and slaves and servants were often mistreated. But Peter still calls them to be subject, to respect, to still serve under an evil master. And the reason for that, we could say why, the reason for that is because he says when you are mindful of God, when you are living for Christ, you can endure unjust suffering. Not by a measure of your own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, you can endure the injustices of the world in a different sort of way. And in fact, he says Christians can expect to face suffering with Jesus as our example of endurance. And look what he says in verse 21. Let's read the next passage here. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says you can suffer unjustly with Christ as your Lord because you follow the one who has gone before you who by his example has also suffered injustice. And you can draw on him for strength and endurance in that place. And Peter makes the point of underscoring what the, 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 the example of Jesus' humility at the cross did for us. Look again at verse 22. This is a key verse. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus is sinless. Jesus committed no sin. His death was substitutionary, right? He died in the place of sinners. And here Peter is alluding back to Isaiah uh, 53 and 52, where the servant of the Lord, it's, it's told, will die as a substitute to remove the sins of his people. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He dies in our place, and he takes our sin so that we can die to sin and live in his righteousness. He died so that the power of sin would be broken in your life. And he's healed you from the power of sin. And he says, where once you were lost and lonely like sheep, now you've been called home in Jesus. You've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, the good shepherd. And then he, he even calls out, look, at listen, when Jesus was dying for you, when he was mocked and suffering, he didn't speak back to those people. He didn't revile his accusers. He didn't threaten them. But what did he do? Look at verse 23. He continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus, and Peter says, Jesus is our example here. 
when Jesus was encountering the unjust persecution of others, instead of getting back at the people who were hurting him, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. He gave himself over to the one who judges justly. What does he say? He actually says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? And then he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So when things are incredibly difficult in your life, Peter is basically setting up a scenario here where he says, will you just get back at those who hurt you? Or will you follow the example of Jesus who remains humble and remains a servant and entrusts to God that God will deal justly with this situation? Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says this. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ and wants to live right will have trouble from others. Isn't that true? If you want to follow Jesus, there's going to be some trouble involved. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some ridicule that comes in your life. And will you, like Jesus, remain humble in the midst of that? Uh, just recently, I, I made a list of um, scenarios that happen in my own life, moments that are difficult in my own life, and then I had to kind of remind myself of what to do when, when things are challenging. And one of the one of the, I, I listened to someone who preached and preached well. Thankfully, thank you, Jesus. Um, and one of the things that they said is, rather when you when you when you face ridicule, and this is again drawing on on Peter. He says, when you face ridicule, rather than trying to take it out on the people around you. Give that to God in prayer. You can, you can deal with the anger and the emotion of that before God who's faithful. He can take your emotions. He can, he can handle it when you're angry. And, and that passage was actually, the, the pastor who was preaching this was talking about Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah is working on rebuilding the wall uh, around that dr- Jerusalem, working on reestablishing the kingdom after they come back from exile, and he encounters fellow Israelites and others who just throw ridicule at him. And what one of the things Nehemiah does, which is so good, is instead of throwing ridicule back at his accusers, he just turns it over to God. He just says, "God, this just really upsets me, and I need you to deal with this." And so I've written down for myself this reminder from Nehemiah 4. Uh, Talk it out with God in prayer. But how do you face unjust criticism, like the servant here in 1 Peter chapter 2? How do you respond when you're blamed for something or when someone is upset with you? What do you do? Well, you can give it to God. You can trust yourself to him. You can choose uh, to be better and not to, not to insult those who insult you. And you can remember that Christ is yours, despite the criticism in your own life, and that uh, he loves you, and he's got you. And that's what Peter draws on here. He says, even when you are encountering injustice and difficulty, whether it's a slave to a master, and, and, and for us, that's a very different sort of cultural situation. But you know what? The closest thing is maybe in your workplace. Sometimes that might feel like a bit of a slave-to-master situation. Maybe not, but it might be for some of you. What do you do when work's just really hard? 
right? I had a boss once. It was awful. Like they swore at me all the time, you know, and I just had to kind of deal with it and get, get on with life. You know, it was like, all right, well, what they say about me is not true. I just carry on. And I got to show through trying to work well and by leaning on Jesus that I was more than what these people were saying about me. So we can rest knowing that God has got us. And that's what Peter's encouraging here to the servant in verse 18 and onward. God's got us. And I love what he says here at the end. We can rest in the one who judges justly. This is verse 23. So we can forgive others and we can entrust that God will bring his justice to bear uh, on those who need it. Uh, one of my, my study notes said this, every wrong deed in the universe will either be covered by the blood of Christ or repaid justly by God at the final judgment. So you're okay. So you're okay. Okay, good. Let's head over to the, the more difficult passage now. This is the one that if, if you go and think, I'm going to preach through First Peter. This is the one that you go, oh, no, this will, be, this will not be fun. This is where I get to talk to wives. Ugh. Let's read verses uh, 1 to 6 of chapter 3. This is, you'll feel the cultural gap here right away. But there's, the, the point is really, really good. Listen to this. Likewise, wives. So what's he just said? Likewise, he's just been talking about following Jesus as an example in difficult situations, right? That's the, that's the context. So in a similar way, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay. The biblical, there's a clear biblical model throughout the Bible of husbands having a leadership role in the home. And Ephesians and Colossians are really clear on this as well. And there's a sense in which as husbands have a particular leadership role, wives are called to, to submit to or to respect that and to follow that uh, as a husband seeks to lead well. Now, this is what scripture doesn't say. Scripture never says, that women in general are subject to men in general. Okay, it doesn't say that. What it affirms is a sense of male leadership in church and in home. And then, even though Peter calls the wives to submit to their husbands, this is very, very different than what would have been culturally appropriate at the time. So we can read that and go, well, that sounds different from my own culture. At the time, at the time, if you got married, you were expected to leave all of your friends and you were to take on your husband's friends as your friends. You were also expected to leave your faith and take on your husband's gods. Um, we, have, we have texts from Plutarch and other places where they say the wife should just basically leave all of her stuff 
all that goes. And she needs to submit in such a way that she can only be friends with her husband's friends and only worship who he wants to worship. How many of you as wives go, uh-uh, I'm not signing up for that. That doesn't sound very good. So by contrast, what Peter says is really different. What does he actually say here? What he says, remember he says, likewise, at the beginning, he says, first and foremost, wives, your devotion is to Jesus. First and foremost is to Christ alone. He's the one that you love. He's the one that you serve. And then what does he say here? Look again at verse verse 1. He says, so that even if some do not obey the word, he's talking about wives who are married to husbands who aren't Christians. Some who don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What he basically calls wives to is to be covert evangelists. He basically says, listen, instead of fighting your husband, or instead of just divorcing him because you've come to faith and he hasn't, let him see the goodness and love of Christ displayed in you, and that will transform his life. You live that out, and he will, without you arguing with him, potentially, though arguments will likely happen anyway, but not because you argued with him to become a Christian, but because he saw the change in your life that Jesus makes, he will be won over. Now, that's true, not just in wives and husbands' relationships, but in all kinds of relationships, isn't it? The idea is that when we come to Jesus, it transforms our conduct. It transforms our lives. And we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to shape us and work through us. And the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, becomes the sort of character and attitude that we have, so much so that people can look at us, this is the idea, and go, something's changed about you. And we can say, yes, where once I was blind, now I see. Come, come see the one who, who restored me, right? Come meet the one who's changed me. So Peter calls wives, basically, to pursue a godly life, a life marked by the gospel, a life marked by Jesus, and then let that life be lived out as a witness to your husband's. And so rather than it, it being derogatory to women, it's actually, like, it's actually incredibly freeing because Peter's not saying you can't have your own friends. He doesn't say, uh, well, now you know, your husband has another God and you've got to go deal with that. Basically, he says, stay and love him. Love Jesus first and then let your love for Jesus be shown in how you love him. And that'll start to change things in your marriage. And he calls them first to belong, belong to Jesus. It's really, really good. He actually extends a real sort of agency to women in the first century. That's really quite remarkable. And then verses 3 and 4, where he says, don't let your adorning be external. Again, that's reflecting Greco-Roman culture at the time. We know in the portraits and the sculptures, it was normal to have really sort of elaborate braids and like ostentatious jewelry in upper Roman class society. So in contrast to that, Peter's saying to the Christian women, that's not the whole point of your life. Focus on your character. God looks at your heart, not how you braided your hair. Care about what's going on inside of you and what the Spirit's doing inside of you. And don't be preoccupied with 
you know, what you've got, your own personal appearance or with excess materialism. Don't let that be the thing that shapes your heart. Instead, cultivate your inner life, cultivate your character, cultivate your heart and your soul. And obviously, this can be taken out of context. Peter's not saying you can't braid your hair, and he's not saying you can't wear jewelry. If that was true, he would also be saying you can't wear clothes. Right? The clothes part was looped in with braiding and jewelry. So I've heard, if you have people who, out of context, go, well, the Bible says I can't braid my hair. It's like, no, that's not what that's about. Right? You can braid your hair and wear jewelry. It's okay. As long as you're wearing clothes, too. That part's important. So essentially, Peter, Peter's calling wives to a sense of respect that's modeled after who? And what does he say at the end? As Sarah obey, obeyed Abraham. And of course, Abraham's an example of someone who tried to live for God and didn't always do that well. But his point here is that Sarah learned to trust in God as Abraham was seeking to follow God. And in the same way, wives, look after your own hearts. Let that be a witness to your husband's and seek to love and obey and respect with the sense of God is first in my life, and I'm going to love my husband to Jesus. And that's essentially what Peter does with that. Okay, verse 7. Guys, we get a much, a much smaller chunk. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, there's not a full stop there, but there could be. How many of us, guys... We need to learn how to understand our wives better. We'd probably take some time figuring that out, couldn't we? Live in an understanding way, showing honor to women. This will also feel weird to a lot of you as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's lots of interpretations about what weaker vessel means. Um, most likely it means that how in general, women are not as physically strong as men are in general. Obviously, there's exceptions to that, but that's the idea there. Also, uh, it also may be that men can be tempted, it would seem, in these relationships to threaten their wives with physical or verbal abuse, and Peter is stopping that, right? He's calling the men to live upright, honoring, loving, respectful lives, not abusive, not domineering. And so weaker vessel isn't about inferiority. It's about caring well for, for the ones who are in your care, guys. That's what that's about. And then Peter, so it's not inferior because what does Peter say? Who are the heirs of the grace of God? Both are. Not just the men. What does he say? Showing honor to women as the weaker vessel since they are not below you, not inferior to you, they are heirs with you. That's pretty revolutionary for the time. These women are heirs with you of the grace of life. And if you don't do this, guys, if you don't treat women in a godly way, your prayers are hindered, says Peter. Like it will negatively impact your relationship with Jesus if you're not caring for your wives well. This is pretty practical, on-the-ground, pastoral sort of stuff, hey? And then finally, Peter shifts to talk to the whole group. So he's talked about servants and masters. He's talked about wives and husbands. Um, often we know wives tended to come to faith 
quicker in the early church, it would seem. And so often there was women who had husbands who weren't saved yet. That's why he kind of speaks to that issue. Um, that's why it gets a little more talk. But then he talks to everybody. And what does he say to everybody? Finally, all of you, all of you, here's the things that all of us keep in mind. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of God is against those who do evil. And so he turns to speak to the whole community. And what does he say? There's a list of virtues for us. Unity of mind. Sympathy. A brotherly love. A tender heart. Think of the guy giving coffee to his, his people at church, learning to love them. A tender heart. A humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Man, it's easy when someone is put out with you to get put out with them, isn't it? On the contrary, bless. But this is to what you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And so Peter calls us in the end to a, a real sort of humility and love and tenderness to mark our conduct. What's the sort of the big theme through all of that, from servants to marriage to all of us? It's really a call to a sort of loving, respectful humility. Not a sort of passive pushover kind of life, but a, a love for others that is like charged with a relationship with Jesus that wants to love those that he's put around us. Uh, a sort of life that says, hey, even when I'm getting beat up at work, I'm going to still love these people, you know. I'm going to follow Jesus' example here. And that's not licensed to stay in an abusive relationship. That's not what this is about. But there's a call to, to a sort of humble, uh, a humble way of living, even when we encounter difficulty. And that's the, that's the emphasis that, that Peter makes for us. So how do you live that? How do we live into that? Well, I think we only really can live into that by the grace of God, hey? That's hard to do on our own. Some of you, husbands and wives, things have been tough in your marriage, and this is not a, a sort of cure-all, you know? There's deeper issues in some of your, some of your lives that require more time and healing and God's grace. Some of you, your situation at work is tough and there's, there's a complexity there that's difficult, you know. But, but for all of us, Peter's point is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. He was the one who humbly encountered difficulty and gave himself over to God. God is the good judge. Follow him. Let your love for others, be an example to them of what Jesus has done in your life. Let that shape you. Move with a humility of heart and mind as you engage with people at work and in marriage and your kids when they drive you crazy, right? Move with a sense of, of love and grace to those around you because that 
is the example that Jesus gives us. So let's stand together and and we're just going to pray to that end and invite God by his spirit to come and and shape us that we would live like Jesus in all the different relationships in our lives. Lord, today we come uh, knowing well our own weaknesses, our own faults, our own brokenness. Yet, Jesus, we thank you for the promise of your word, for the reminder that you, uh, in these words from Peter, you were sinless, and yet you took on our sin. You died in our place so that we could know your resurrection life and your salvation. Lord, that is, is meant to, to shape us, to form us in such a way that our lives look different. And so, Lord, we pray as we read this, this list of virtues here in First Peter, a, a unity of heart, a tender mind, uh, uh, a humbleness as we engage with people, uh, a love for each other. Lord, some of that can feel really daunting. It's like, where do we start? I have a hard enough time keeping, a, keeping my, myself sane through the day. How do I love these people well? How do I love my family well? Lord, you've given us an example to follow in your own humility as you encounter difficulty and as you love those around you. So if anything this morning, Lord, I pray that in the hearts of those who are here today and those that may be listening later, I pray that you would open in us uh, a deeper, a deeper reservoir to receive the grace of your spirit. Lord, would you fill us afresh today so that we can live for you and for your kingdom. Lord, in the situations in our lives where we have difficult relationships with people, where it is unjust, or where there's just a a different sense of, 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 of what we're doing, maybe as a couple, where there's issues in relationship, Lord, would you come and would you help us to love our spouses the way Jesus loves? with humility and grace and respect. Lord, in our workplaces where maybe we have people uh, who we engage with that are difficult, some of us don't. Jesus, thank you for that. But lots of us have in our lives. Lord, help us to walk with humility and grace and love to those around us. Lord, as husbands this morning, we pray that you would help us to love our wives in an understanding way, caring well, for that, for her, for our kids. Lord, give us humility and grace to lead well with humility and grace, Lord, to lead the way you led, which is as a servant. Lord, I just pray as a church, there's so many of us here. We all have different backgrounds, different experiences in our walk with you, different levels of maturity, different levels of giftedness. But Lord, you've brought us together as a church body. And I pray that you would unite us in our hearts and in our minds with a love for each other, uh, with a humility towards one another, with a respect and a grace for each other. Uh, Jesus, that we would live out your character, that you would shape us by your spirit. We can't do this on our own. So we look to you, God, that by your spirit, you would move in us and make us the people, make us the church, make us uh, 
the, the families and the parents and the spouses that you want us to be. And we ask this today in your name. Amen.